What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I love seeing the growth of people's wellness businesses over the years, and it's always fun to have guests come back on the show to catch us up with everything that's happened since we last spoke to them. So this week, I'm delighted to welcome Natasha Richardson, the herbalist and founder of Forage Botanicals, to join us back on the Wellpreneur Podcast. Natasha originally came on the show way back in episode 87, where we were talking about how she got her first 1,000 email subscribers. Natasha is an herbalist and originally started practicing by working one-on-one individually with patients to help them improve their health through using herbal therapies. But her business has really shifted since she first started and since she even got those first 1,000 subscribers. Natasha has grown her business to really specialize in menstrual health, and she shifted away from one-on-one practice into courses and group programs and creating these delicious herbal products that people can buy through her website. And now she's actually come full circle and she started offering one-on-one services again, but through herbalists that work for her. So it's a really different evolved business model that gives her a lot more freedom and flexibility and is especially suitable for her lifestyle now since she's become a mother. So I think this episode is really inspiring, of course, for those of you who are herbalists or work in that field, but for anybody who might be thinking about making that transition from one-on-one services to either products or courses or group programs or even bringing in other practitioners to help expand the amount of one-on-one services you can do. There is a lot of goodness in this episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. So let's jump into this conversation with Natasha Richardson of Forage Botanicals. Hi, Natasha. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Amanda. So nice to talk to you again. (laughs) Wow. The last time you were on was we were trying to figure it out before we started recording like a couple years ago, right in the much more beginning part of your business. And so much has changed since then. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what's happened and how you've made this business work for you. So, well, I Two years ago uh, is what I kind of like consider as like the very beginning of Forage Botanicals uh, like for now, because before that I was just running my own kind of private business as a herbalist and taking patients. Then I kind of got more business savvy and started trying to do my emailing lessons, start product lines and online courses and stuff two years ago. And that was when I was really working with a lot of your online courses And they were like so useful when I was getting started. I was like, thank God. So yeah, nowadays I I don't take patients anymore. I have a couple of herbalists that take patients for me. And loads of things essentially changed when I got pregnant. 
Awesome. So I want to talk about, I have loads of questions for you um, because I know the Wellpreneur podcast listeners love hearing how do you actually make it work, especially now that you have a baby too. And so, yeah, so we want to talk about all that. Um, But so tell us just to start off, how do you describe what you do? Like what is Forage Botanicals? So Forage Botanicals is a company that makes products and educates uh, women mostly on how to have better periods. And uh, we have a range of products that help with common period problems like PMS and pain and heavy flow, but in like really delicious and enjoyable products to have. So like we have a hot chocolate that's for heavy flow and we have a really beautiful smelling balm that we use for period pain. And then I also have a couple of herbalists that take patients for me whenever there's somebody who has very serious problem that wants help with. And I run um, online courses and educational programs. And I have a book published now as well. Amazing. I want to talk about that too, because the book, it's beautiful. The cover of the book is so beautiful. It's lovely. And has loads of delicious recipes in it. So mm, love it. Um, Okay. So let's go back though, because you said like two years ago is when you had a real shift about how you were, you said you became a lot more business savvy. So before that, you were just practicing like a normal herbalist, like many holistic practitioners out there, right? Just working with clients one-on-one? Yes. I was just working with clients one-on-one. I was doing a pay-as-you-go sort of um, structure. They would come and pay X amount for their first appointment, X amount for their second, and most people wouldn't make it past the first appointment. So Mm -hmm. I was really um, finding it very unsatisfying to not really be able to see the results that I wanted. Um, so then I swapped over to doing plans, wellness plans. And that is how my herbalists that work for me now practice. They use those plans that I came up with because they work so well. And the, the satisfaction on both sides of the, I would call it a team, is so much higher. So that's kind of what they've inherited from me by working with my company. Awesome. So what happened? I mean, I guess you said you were getting frustrated by people not coming back for their appointments. What really was the catalyst to have you make this huge change in your business to shift to products and courses and now a book? So um, when I was pregnant with my now almost two-year-old, I was my time was getting reduced and it was obvious to me that something, some of my responsibilities were going to have to be cut down so that I could make space for childcare for me looking after a child. (laughs) And, um, the thing that always would give most under pressure was my relationship with my patients. I would forget that I, had to do something for them. I forget we had an appointment. I would not send stuff like, and it was just like embarrassing. And I was so sad for my patients as well. And I just felt like it wasn't fair on them. So it was obvious to me first and foremost, that that was going to have to go in one way or the other. And that was when I decided to bring on herbalists to work sort of for me in that regard and to focus on the products instead. So now like most of my creative energy goes into the product line and I have an overall mission of trying to make these products so widely available that it helps also women to reassess 
what is acceptable to them as an experience for their from their menstruation because I think that actually at the moment most people just think it's supposed to be a, a terrible experience and wouldn't even consider what they can do to make it better and then if they do they're not happy with what's available and that's where our products kind of come in. So do you have a team or are you still doing I know you have those two herbalists that work for you but do you have other people that help you or are you still doing most of the other stuff yourself? I'm still doing it mostly by myself when I do get into like pre-Christmas kind of time I um, enlist the help of um, apprentices to come and help me make a big batch of products. And I can do that when I have a big stockist that needs an order making as well. Cool. But things like social media and like all the marketing stuff, you're doing all that yourself. I'm still doing it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> okay. So tell us about that. Cause I hear, I hear a lot of people are concerned that it's going to take too much time. They feel like, yeah, they don't have time for it. It always gets pushed to the bottom of the list. It might be overwhelming, especially like social media and knowing what to send by email. So what have you learned? Like, how do you how do you make that work for you so it doesn't feel like so much? Or maybe it does feel like, does it feel like so much? <laughs> maybe it does. <laughs> it feels now more than ever like, Instagram and social media is just like a hungry, hungry beast that never is satisfied. And me and my friends like joke all the time, like computers hungry. And we're like, <laughs> this is like never ending mm -hmm. production of stuff. And it feels a bit like with Instagram, which used to be my absolute favorite, that a lot of stuff just gets lost in the abyss, sadly, um, unless I pay for it to be seen which is totally, like, I feel like that's totally how they've engineered that platform now. Mm -hmm. But I've really tried to always, like you say, make it simple. Like, if it's not simple, then why are you bothering, sort of thing. Um, I, my Instagram used to be all planned out, and I used to be like, right, I'm going to post five days a week, and I'm going to post it this time and I would have like a month's worth of stuff all lined up in my plannerly and I don't do any of that anymore because I feel like what is even the point I, I can post every day and get very few interactions or like this is specifically to my feed or I can save that energy for myself and wait for something really striking to happen and post that. And I find that if I do that now, that that will work. That works for me. I get hmm. like loads more interaction, loads more comments because I waited for something really genuine to happen or something that I really needed to say or discuss with people. And I'm seeing that happen quite a lot with creatives on Instagram that they post to their feed far less often. And then I save all of the like behind the scenes, this is what I'm doing today kind of stuff that for stories. And I can post to that every day without really being much effort so long as I am actually doing some work for my business. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's really shifted. Well, it's constantly, it's like a moving target. I mean, it's constantly evolving. But um, I yeah. think that's, yeah, I think as the feeds get more noisy, you're right. If you're not paying to be boosted, then people aren't seeing your stuff unless it's really notable. So, yeah, that's really interesting. How do you think what's working for you to get out in front of new people to have people discover Forage Botanicals? 
I find that if every six months I offer something very significant free, then that's my um, best for getting new people interested. And I am finding that like I can spend $30 on an ad and get like thousands of people seeing a image that I've put on my feed. But the interaction rate is very minimal. The conversion rate for those is minimal. My conversion rates when I'm like actually using word of mouth and talking to friends and saying, hey, can you help me spread this? And like doing it the old fashioned way actually is so much more effective and it's free. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, okay, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the book. So you have a book. I have it here. It's called Your Period Handbook, Natural Solutions for Stress-Free Menstruation. And Did I say that wrong? Menstruation. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's beautiful. And so how – tell us the story of the book. There's always a story behind a book. So how – did you have the concept? Were you approached by a publisher? Like how did this come about? I already had the concept and I would just happen to be working with someone who was a publisher. <laughs> Thank you, universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a funny story in a way. So I was contacted by a publisher and um, a fairly big publisher, but they normally make cookbooks. Mm. And I was like, this is strange, but also kind of interesting. Like I could totally see how a hormone health recipe book could be concocted. <laughs> for a want of a better word. And um, I, she approached me, she was like, hey, I'm new at this publishing company, but I'm really interested in the work that you're doing. And I want to kind of um, give this company some more interesting new avenues to explore. And I was like, okay, cool. And she was like, so can you pitch me a book? Which is a really unusual mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. from my understanding now to have happen. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, like, yeah, I've always loved to have to write a book. I actually had a folder on my computer called My Book. And it had like a document in there where I think I'd like written a few lines one day. And that was that. <laughs> nice. You're like putting it out there to manifest yeah, it. And then it happened. Yeah. Want to let cool. you know, universe. That's why I've got plans. <laughs> um, so she asked me to pitch her. I'd never done a pitch before. I have no idea what even it goes into a book proposal. So I just like wrote down some bullet points and sent it off. And she sent it to her, you know, boss or whatever. And they came back and said no. And I was like, huh okay then. That's a bit weird. What a weird thing. I was like, this is a weird thing to go through. Why? Why would they mm. contact me if they did? Like, I hadn't even realized that she would have to get it okay. And I just thought, well, she's really on board. So, and she wants me to pitch to her. So clearly it's going to be a yes. Mm -hmm. So that was like a massive eye-opening moment. And I was working part-time at Middlesex University, um, mm. making prescriptions in their um, multidisciplinary clinic. And one of the students had a publishing company. And I was like, hey, I got approached by this company. Isn't this weird? And he was like, no, no, that's normal. You know, they have like these quotas that they need to meet each like section of the publishing company. And they'll, they'll go out hunting for books as much as people will send them them. And I was like, oh, um, 
I was like, oh, well, that's a shame that didn't pan out. And he was like, well, you know, if you've got a book in the, in the making, why don't you send it to me one day? And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll think about it. And I told someone this and they were like, what are you doing even thinking about it? Just <laughs> give it. I was like, oh, I thought people like just start approaching you for book deals all the time. They're like, no, that's a weird thing that happened to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, and they're like, you've now had two people say pitch to them. That's very weird. Just take it. Say yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't know. It's like that book was meant to be born and it was just, there's all these different routes that it was going to come out. So I just, that made me think of um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, how she talks about like, there's an idea and it's just like, it's just coming out, you know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That sounds like yeah. that. Cool. Really so I really like already had in my head what the book would be and it was just a case of getting that avenue there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So how, how did you find the book writing process like how Um, was that for you I don't mean to sound like really annoying but it I found it easy (laughs) because I was essentially repackaging things that I'd written for my blog for years that probably no Mm -hmm. one had read Mm -hmm. and I was like I already had a structure in my head of what I wanted for this book I knew the kind of person I was writing for And I just broke it down into little mini pieces, like blog sized pieces, essentially, and put it together. So it didn't feel like anything different from writing lots of little blogs. Hmm. But like I was already writing a thousand words a week and it wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. And so I just had more of an overall plan to those bits and pieces, really. Mm. Because see, I found, because I I assembled a lot of, my book had a lot of content that I'd written elsewhere. And I found the first draft really easy. Like I had, I love, I love writing. So that was really fun. I mean, it's work. It took a long time, but it was fun. But oh my gosh, when I got the comments back from the editor and had to go through and start fixing stuff, that felt like work to me. Yeah. I did not enjoy editing one bit. And it was just like so much. And I was like, mm-hmm. does this even matter? Like, mm-hmm. I am I am definitely like an 80% ready kind of person. Like, I'm like, 80%, that's fine. That, that's <laughs> good enough. <laughs> which is, you know, which running your own business, honestly, that's a great mindset to have, I think, because that's what you need to do is just get something, get something out there and start to get feedback on it, right? But I guess if you're publishing a book, which is going to be out there forever and with a publishing company, they yeah. don't have that attitude. Yeah. I just I got to the point where I was like, come on, mm-hmm. surely somebody else can do these things mm-hmm. and I don't need to even look at it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how semicolons work. You figure it out. So what have you found from the book? So wait, you released the book last year? No. When did the book come out? Beginning of this year. Okay. It was, I handed it in a month before my son was due and then they handed it back for editing just like a month or so after he'd been born Mm -hmm. and I was doing all this editing in amongst like the newborn phase Mm. of having a a baby I think and then yeah and then yeah so he was one when the book came out pretty much Mm. so have you noticed what what effects have you noticed on your business from the book 
Um, I think it like legitimizes the company. That's the big thing. And I find that when I'm like introducing myself for leads, for um, PR leads, the fact that I can say I'm a published author and a medical herbalist with over 10 years of experience, like that little one line mm-hmm. carries so much more gravitas than just being like, hi, I've experience with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just worse the way the world, unfortunately, that that's, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to talk about like your, how you work and especially now having a little one at home, like how do you, how do you find time? How do you make it work? Basically, how do you find time to work? How do you, what, how, yeah. How do you organize yourself? Yeah. So, um, I am a naturally anxious person who's very like, I have a really fractious I think it's the right word I want like fractured, like mind. I think about lots of different things all at once. And if I don't know what I'm supposed to be focusing on, then I can easily get off track and be thinking about something completely, like not incorrect, but off, to- off topic, I suppose. Um, and the way that I manage that is by having in my head what I'm supposed to be doing at specific times of day and when I'm really anxious and I've got and I'm super busy I like my sort of micromanage my day I get out of my um apple calendar and I write down what I'm going to be doing for like every essentially like every minute of the day and that is because I find that when I'm super busy I feel really overwhelmed by my to-do list but when I put my to-do list into a calendar where time exists then suddenly I'm like oh okay this is actually doable like okay I've given myself 15 minutes to do this task and I have 15 minutes free that day so great and this is how I continue to function I don't give myself any tasks to do when I have to look after my son I only give myself work tasks to do when I know I have guaranteed childcare. And um, yeah, but it just sounds so ridiculously simple, but basically (laughs) I manage it by putting my tasks into the time I have available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know it makes sense, doesn't it? But like it's such a simple practice rather than just having that what most of us do, which is just have this endless to-do list that's just huge with no sense of priority on it. And you sit down and you just think, I can never get this all done. And you always feel behind. Whereas you're that simple, just putting a task into a time block in the calendar lets you have time to get it done. And it doesn't mean that you're inflexible. Like, I think that that's the impression that I've given friends when I've told them that this is what I do. They're like, what? How do I have you written down? Why have you got lunch written down in your diary for the next half an hour? I'm like, you know, because it's lunch. <laughs> like, but what if it goes on for 15 minutes more? I'm like, that's fine. I'll just drag it out longer. Like, I my calendar then adapts to my day as well. Like, so if something was done at a different time than I thought, then I check back in my calendar and I change it. If something took longer than I thought, then that's cool. I drag it down. But it means that I have to move something else to another day. 
And this practice of like moving things that you didn't get done to the next day or whenever it's going to work for you is also taught in the bullet journaling method of organization, which I've kind of started to employ bits of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So most of my diary now is analog rather than digitized, but I do check in between the two. And literally, Amanda, I don't know what I'm doing day to day. Like my husband will be like, so what's happening tomorrow? I'll be like, let me have a look at my calendar. You've like outsourced. I mean, we all have outsourced our memory to the computer, like, or the calendar. Like, tell me what I'm doing. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And just like, yeah, I don't have any memory. I don't see any reason why I would take up vital brain space with remembering what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) So, how much, how much do you think you're working these days per week on your business? I am working definitely a guaranteed six hours. And then in the evenings, I like probably wangle an extra hour each evening. Mornings with my mum as well, twice a week. So actually 12 hours plus another five hours in the evening. But usually those five hours in the evening go, this is going to sound absurd, usually those five hours in the evening go to my research for my master's. (laughs) Oh, you're doing a master's too. Yes. Oh, in what? I didn't know this. No, I'm doing a master's in design history at Oxford University at the moment. Oh, wait, does that fit into everything? Or is that just like, how does that fit into the vision of Natasha? Or is it just an interest? No, so it fits in because you can research anything in design history. And basically, it's like this amazing way, a new way of doing history studies, where you find usually an object And then you look at like all the different things that influence that moment in time for that object to come into fruition. Mm. But then you also look at now that object exists, how does that change the world? Like, how does that make people feel about themselves? How does that make people feel about the environment? Yeah. Cool. I I research stuff like um, the history of the speculum and how that changed, how we look at the female body. I researched um, last term, I looked at a magazine cover of an African American publication from World War One, and I was looking at like how race was influencing the treatment of African Americans in the war. Mm. Um, literally, their military service was uh, affected um, because of this like bizarro concept of race that we still is ingrained deep in our subconscious now. Yeah. Wow. So it gives you a lot of flexibility to like that master's really lets you explore all sorts of things. Yeah. Anything. So yeah. my final project is definitely going to look at the contraceptive pill mm. at a pharmaceutical that attempts to design the menstrual experience. Right. Right. It's, <laughs> sorry. I was like taking that in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because the pill is actually giving you a false period or stopping your period altogether. Yeah. And like changing that. So I see how it ties together. Yeah. So it's designing what it means to be a menstruating female Mm. and what a hormone cycle is or is not. Mm. And I believe through its mere existence, people now think that their cycle should be 28 days and they should bleed for five. Mm. Like, I think it's because of the existence of the pill. And also, sorry, I'm really passionate about this. And also the pill um, 
is given not merely as contraceptive, like more more times than often what from what I hear is given to balance the hormones. Yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you have period problems here. Take the pill and it fixes it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, oh, that's so interesting, though. So I'm curious, how did you decide? Because you just had a baby, you wrote a book, you've got this business, and then you decided you wanted to do a master's. So what was the? Because you had so much free time. So like, what? <laughs> so what? Because I think for a lot of people out there, like I know a lot of us would love to go back to school. I think so many people love to continue learning and exploring. So how did you make that decision that that was the right time to do that? Or was it just you just really were excited about it and you just did it? Or was it more? So, yeah, I decided to just like give it a go, see if I got in, because if I did get in and decided it didn't work with motherhood, then I could defer it to when my son was like, I think he would be four when I start or three or something. Mm hmm. Um, and then I knew that he would be at nursery and that there would be more inbuilt childcare. To be honest, when I started, I also thought that I was going to have more childcare than I've ended up having. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought my dad was going to be able to do stuff and he got ill. I thought my mom was going to be able to do more than she can, but she has scoliosis. So, yeah, it's not that it worked out as I'd planned exactly, Amanda. But... <laughs> Plus, it's been kind of a weird year with like, with yeah. everything. 2020 has been a bit weird too. So, yeah. It's been a bit weird, but in my favor, because it's meant that it's not been conducive to me traveling to Oxford as much, mm-hmm. which makes it easier for me to get childcare sorted. But but that's all kind of irrelevant. The practicalities of it, I, I can make it work. It's only one weekend a month where mm. I would go for lectures. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really geared up for long distance part-time learning and I found that I like to be doing things all the time and I think that partly I give myself one maybe two more things than I should be doing at all times and it's sort of a way that I allow myself to not be brilliant at anything Mm. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of I've kind of like discovered in the last year with having my son around that I give myself too many things to do so that I never feel bad about not being amazing at any of them. Mm. And as I come to like towards the end of my master's, I'm like, OK, Natasha, you, you need to keep an eye on this. Like, are you going to go full force with your business again and motherhood? Or are you going to pick up that third plate again? Mm-hmm. My real like pattern. I think you're not alone in that because it's like it's a built-in excuse, right? So you're like, well, I couldn't. It's okay if that, like, like you said, it's okay if that wasn't amazing because I didn't really give it my all because I'm doing too many things. Whereas if you really put throw yourself into it and dedicate yourself to it, I don't know. It feels a bit more scary, like much more vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. And Mm. I also find that if one thing, if one of the plates is a bit stressful, I can go and put my attention on something else for Mm -hmm. a while until that thing is resolved, resolves itself. Because right, everything resolves itself eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I use it also in that respect. And I found that at the moment, 
I really like having my uni work and my work work and I bounce them off each other. When I'm trying to think creatively about one of them, I do something physical in the other. And I find that if I'm doing something physical, gets my mind completely off the other topic Mm. and just like have these amazing insights that just come rushing in. Um, Yeah. So I I actually use the plates to play off each other sometimes. Mm. I find that if I just have one thing going, then I obsess over it and I get more and more anxious about it. And I, yeah. So there's pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So tell us about um, the new course that you're starting in January. So in January, 2021 I'm gonna start taking essentially I'm gonna start taking patients again but in a new way I'm gonna take 10 people at once in a sort of group coaching scenario it's called the menstrual well-being collective and it's gonna be a mentorship so that people working with me in Europe the UK or the USA um will be able to do that because right now I can't really send I can't send prescriptions in the post to the US like it's uh, I can't get insured for it but I can recommend herbs to anyone anywhere mm-hmm. so that's what we're going to do <laughs> awesome so it's like a small group and you all get together and so you can recommend things that then they could go source locally um, but yeah. you give like the support and the guidance and plus the community is awesome in small yeah. group coaching programs yeah oh that's so exciting So it's going to be for people that have more serious kind of period problems. I'm expecting people that like endometriosis, PCOS, maybe um, unexplained infertility kind of stuff Mm -hmm. on on the group, but also probably people who have period problems that have never been able to get a diagnosis for. That's the kind of gang I'm expecting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really small group. Lots of community uh, vibes going on, and they're really going to shape the course as we go along. I'm going to have guest speakers, but only the ones that are relevant to the people that are there. Mm-hmm. So where can people find out about that? if they? Because when this is going to air, it'll be just before January. Um, so if you're listening to this later in the future, hopefully Natasha will run another one. So yeah, where can they find out about that? Well, I'm going to make sure that it's on my homepage. If not in the menu, then there'll be slap bang right in the center of the homepage when you go. So it's foragebotanicals.co.uk. Awesome. Okay. So if you, I always like to ask this question at the end, but if you could go back and give yourself some advice when you were first starting your business, what would you tell yourself? Um, It's going to be slower than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that is, you know, oh man, I felt that way too. I was like, I just want it to happen. And I want it to happen right now. Like it was never fast enough. But as long as you're taking forward steps, you get there, right? It's just, you're not in control. It's just, it might not be the timing that is what exactly what you want. For sure. And also, um, if you're doing business correctly, you're always going to feel like that. Mm. Because you're always moving forward. And the tricky part is making sure that you observe where you are, like just take a breath every like month or so and be like, okay, what what am I what am I actually like doing right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I find that you need other people to reflect it back to you. Like when other people will say, Look at what you've created, you know, or oh. like, look at what you've done. And then you think, Oh, 
<laughs> Actually, you're right. Because <laughs> oh, like, yeah. it's hard to see on our own when you get, you're just so in the day to day. It's hard to take that step back. Totally agree with you. One of the best things that I've done for being able to reflect on it myself is I have a scrapbook where I've like printed off old versions of my website and mm. I like my old business cards and old designs of my labels and stuff. And I've like put them in there and I put my whatever PR I get, I put in there and I, it's all chronological. And yeah, I look back at that sometimes and I'm like, that's crazy that I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're the first person ever I've heard that made a business scrapbook. And I think that's such a good idea because it just gets lost in, as you update stuff, you change your website, you change your logo, you like you get published somewhere and then you kind of forget about it. Um, So I love that. Print it off. Go analog. Oh my God. I've I've only got one previous. No, I think I have like two previous copies of what my websites used to look like. Highly recommend. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. That's great. That's my takeaway from this episode is like start a business scrapbook. Maybe I can go to the Wayback Machine and find some old versions of my website and print them off or something. That's Ah, so good. good. um, I use it as a teaching tool all the time, Amanda. When I'm doing business stuff for Herbalists, I I crack it out and I'm like, come on, guys. But, you know, I started somewhere. It's not Mm -hmm. always this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Natasha, thank you so much for coming back and hopefully we'll see you in another few years and you can update us on your empire that's growing. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can find all of the links that we talk about in the show notes at wellpreneur.com. And we love to hang out over on Instagram. So if we're not connected yet on Instagram, please follow us. We are at Wellpreneur. We'd love to connect with you over there to share tips and photos and behind the scenes glimpses as we all try to grow our wellness businesses in a way that is really not only great for the business, but sustainable for us too. Okay, that's it for us in this episode. And we will see you back here very soon with the next episode.